0: He goes on to say, yeah, better is one day in your courts, in verse 10, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So there's a sense in which God's court, his temple, his gates, like there's, this is, there's something about how that is most essential as far as a location is concerned. For the people of God at this time so
1: and Jesus is destroying it
0: yeah and so I think that gives a little bit of insight into possibly some of the questions that Peter James John and Andrew are kind of like okay we were just admiring you know how how incredible how wonderful the stones and the buildings of the temple are and then you follow up with yeah Time is coming when not one stone will be left on top of another. Like, yep, take it in now, boys, because it's about to go down. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. I got Parker Smith in the house. How you doing, buddy? What's going on? I'm doing great. Doing great. Okay, well, it's been a few weeks since we got to uh, hang out, and especially in the podcast format. Last time we were in your office, which was pretty cool. It's good to be there at the Yee Yee headquarters, and uh Yeah. We got to hang out with Amy, too. How's she doing?
1: She's great. Okay. She is great. She's currently packing. We're getting ready to go to Washington, D.C.
0: Yeah. So do you want to share anything about that transition and kind of this new season of life?
1: Yeah. Um, so essentially, uh, back in September, I got connected with a pastor up in Washington, D.C. Through, who reached out to me on Instagram, actually. Um, He put together one of the conferences that you and Granger and um, Bernie and I went to, uh, was that this summer?
0: Yeah, and we actually recorded a podcast from my hotel room with Bernie at that conference. Yeah, the T4G conference.
1: Yeah, the Together for the Gospel conference. Um, Long story short, I followed the guy who put the thing together on Instagram. He randomly followed me back and uh, uh, DM me and just said, if you're ever in D.C., let me know. Um, my wife, Amy just so happened to be up there, uh, for a work event. And I told him I'd be there. He said, come by the church. Um, I just told him my story and he asked if we would be interested in moving there for their internship program that they've been doing since the mid nineties. And it's basically five months of reading and writing and discipleship and learning about the church and just kind of being amidst a, a super healthy, um, experienced body of believers Mm. and uh, thought about it for like 20 minutes and uh, (laughs) talked to Amy and she was all in. And so uh, I'd really been praying, you know, should I go to seminary? Uh, Should I just keep diving into this on my own? And and this opportunity came about my Mm -hmm. prayer. So um, yeah, we'll be there through the end of May.
0: Well, I know that several of the people that follow this podcast have kind of, been excited and frequently make comments about how much they appreciate your openness about your walk and this journey that you've been on, uh, and that we kind of got to hear about it from the early, the early days of it. And so it's, it's really exciting to watch this transpire and to kind of be a a fan from the side, just egging you on and and getting behind you and couldn't be more excited for you.
1: Well, cool. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, um, It's it's fun following Jesus. It's fun to see yeah. uh, what he's it's done crazy, the last week. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. What's going to happen tomorrow. Well,
0: we'll let you get settled into your new apartment life and DC life and city life and intern life and all that stuff. And if it seems like there's ever a window of time that you could, uh, you know, go online for a podcast, we'd love to have you as a guest as you're kind of navigating that world and just what you're learning and everything like that. So, um, I'll, I'll stay in touch and we'll make sure we can figure out a way to connect
1: with you. Absolutely. We'll see if we can get Mark on too.
0: Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Um, okay. So, uh, what's the Lord kind of in this transition time been teaching you?
1: Um, I, I heard John Piper say, um, in, in a sermon one time, uh, you don't just try to figure me out. John, I will be heralded. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me. And I feel like I've I've been in a season of uh kind of viewing uh more experienced followers of Christ and their love and genuine love for people. And I think I've been in a season of, you know, I'm introvert, so I get I love I love being around people, but at the same time I get energized when I'm by myself Mm -hmm. and you know, I'd love to shut the door, light up a candle and you know play some soft music and get my bible out or get out of some theology and study and read and just kind of lock myself in and study and that's how i'm and i'm energized and i can kind of fall into that a little bit too much Hmm. to where then i'm i'm like am i am am i properly caring for the people that are around me today and 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 loving them and living out what i'm reading or am i just trying to figure this out like some game Hmm. you know what i mean yeah so um you know i was thinking yesterday there's an interesting dynamic of like the individual who maybe thinks that he's uh, he, you don't want to put he thinks you don't want to put him in a box by going to church or studying theology and he just kind of talks about this relationship with Jesus and he doesn't need any structure and 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 he he, he lives his faith and then you have the other guy that's all doctrine and all theology who needs to get his feet on the ground and start living the things that he's studying. Mm. So kind of kind of thinking about that dynamic and, and uh, making sure that I'm living what I'm reading rather than just trying to figure out God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the difference between uh, people that study the nuances of honey and all of its health benefits and will try to describe to you kind of the the aspects of the taste and the flavor and that kind of stuff versus someone who has just consumed honey, experienced it, and just knows just how wonderful and tasteful it really is. And there's a, a head knowledge and an experiential knowledge. And, you know, there's there can definitely be a disconnect. And that's the danger of of sometimes some people that really get excited about Jesus at the first and then get excited about theology. Later on, and don't mm. continue that love for their creator and their savior, and um, don't see theology as an avenue of just loving Him all the more and serving others that He loves all the more. So I think that's that's powerful stuff. That's good, cool. Well, I want to uh, I want to dive right into our text today. We are going to continue our trek through the Gospel of Mark. We are now. Jumping into chapter thirteen, and I think as we see over the next few episodes, we're going to start to get into some interesting topics that Jesus brings out uh, in his teaching and these different events that occur in his life and ministry. And just to kind of, as a by way of reminder for uh, people that maybe are just joining us. Uh, or just for our own sake, just reminding ourselves of the context that Mark here is the, the first kind of uh, the earliest recording of Jesus' life and ministry we have. Uh, we believe it to be the product essentially of Peter's preaching and that it was written and copied by uh, Mark and gathered by him. And so then it was distributed there within the first century uh, for the church, and it's you know this this account of the teaching of Jesus Christ while he was on earth, and so as we've been trekking through this, uh, this is a an account of of what he taught, what he did, and ultimately it's Mark and Peter's explanation for why they think Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, and throughout it you're going to see you know many different themes. Uh, especially around authority, that as Jesus teaches, he teaches as one who has authority. He ministers by casting out demons and demonstrates authority. He heals people. He calms storms. He produces, you know, food seemingly out of, you know, almost nothing, you know, five loaves, two fish. And so he's constantly exercising and demonstrating authority and power. And all of these are, you know, building that case that he is the anointed one. And then the last couple of chapters, we've kind of followed him as he's now entered Jerusalem. And he's made this this geographical trek from the north, uh, the northern part of Israel in Galilee, where he did a lot of his ministry. And then right around the time of chapter 8, where Peter... Recognizes that he is the Christ and declares that there seems to be this shift where Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem and starts to make this journey southward. And as he does that, as his teaching starts to to happen through parables, uh, at first they're they're kind of less direct and a little bit more mysterious for you know his enemies. And as he gets closer and closer, they become more and more obvious and. Very intentionally directed towards those that are in power and in leadership, and he eventually enters Jerusalem. He goes to the temple, makes several visits to the temple. He'll teach in the temple, and he'll call out those that are experts in the temple—the scribes, the priests, uh, the Pharisees. Others uh, will challenge him and try to demonstrate their own power and authority. And what ends up happening is that they show themselves to be ones that don't know as much and aren't as in, in as much control as Jesus is. And so then uh, we now see, as we get into chapter 13, uh, we're going to see kind of a transition from the temple and maybe even talking more about the temple. So sure. we're going to be in verses 1 through 13. I am in the ESV translation. I've been hanging out here for the last several episodes, uh, just really... Really love my ESV. I do appreciate other translations, but just been hanging out in here. What do you have? I have ESV. Okay, we're on the same track. Well, let's. Uh, we did not get a chance to pray before we started, so I'm going to pray for us and just ask the Lord to give us some wisdom and guidance as we get ready to go here. So, uh, Father, I pray that as we open the Word here, that as two brothers. In Christ and two of your sons, we pray that you would give us wisdom and insight, that your spirit would illuminate the text, that we may see and behold wonderful things from your word, and that you would guide us, that we would be doing this as two that believe this to be true, to be vital, uh, to be profitable, and that will train us and give us understanding in how to live righteously so that we can walk in joyful obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, here we are. Mark 13, chapter 1, or chapter 13, verse 1. And as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another, and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Okay, there we go. Just a just a little snippet of the word of God. Uh, like we uh, start out in in most instances here, we want to first make sure we understand the scene, uh, where they are, who's there who's kind of, yeah, who's speaking, asking questions, things like that. So we know that they're exiting the temple, and then eventually they're sitting across from the temple on the Mount of Olives, and essentially maybe are able to see the temple, but they're no longer in the temple, so they've now exited the temple. And there's some dialogue that happens as they exit about the temple, and then there's this this teaching that is initiated by their questions about kind of the way things are going to play out concerning the things that he addressed as they exited. So we've got Jesus. Who else do we have here?
1: We say one of his disciples.
0: Yeah. We don't uh, know which one of them asked or made the comment, look teacher, what wonderful stones just know that one of them did. And then... Uh,
1: Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Right on.
0: Yeah, which is interesting, because a lot of times it'll be like Peter, James, and John. And those are kind of the three that find themselves in kind of special instances, whether it's when he goes to pray or he goes to heal uh, a young girl. He's, you know, those three are brought in. This time it's those three plus Andrew, who is Peter's brother. Um. And there these four are now engaging with him privately, which just kind of feeds into the the understanding that that Peter would have a particular knowledge about this event and this teaching uh, because he was present for it, uh, this being you know the content of his preaching. Uh, so yeah, we have this the scene, so you kind of have the exit scene out of the temple. And in that scene, there's a comment made about how wonderful and, you know, the stones, the buildings, and that's Jesus then responds to that. You see these, you know, wonderful things here? Well, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that's like, okay, so... As Grand or as wonderful as these things might seem there will there's going to come a, a time when this is completely destroyed essentially and so mm-hmm. some time passes they they obviously exit the town, exit Jerusalem they're sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple um, so maybe they didn't exit Jerusalem, but they're they're there and they can see the temple and Peter James and John. And Andrew are kind of like, what? Uh, can we get? Can we go back to that? What you said as we were leaving <laughs> earlier <laughs> that, that it there those it's going to be destroyed physically. And I mean, that's what he's saying when he says, "No stone upon another. Um, no, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down." So there's the sense in which this building is going to collapse, and it's going mm-hmm. to be flattened, decimated,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which provokes their question um, in verse 4, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So they're like, when's this going to happen? How are we going to know it's happening? Like, this is a significant deal. And I think it it probably begs the question, what? What does the the temple, what is the role of the temple in the life of God's people? You know, you think about the temple was originally designed by God. It's his idea, something that he instructed people of the Old Testament, David and Solomon, to construct as a, as a place or as a replacement for the tabernacle, which was also God's idea, which represented here's here's the place that God will dwell. He will tabernacle. You know, this, this temple will be a place in which people will be able to interact with God and they will be able to reconnect or reconcile with God because of their sin. This will be the place where sacrifices will be made in order to... Uh, Reunite God and his people, and they will have a chance to kind of cover the sin uh, that separates them from God. And so you start to, to think about so, what, what happens if that doesn't exist? I mean, I, I remember Psalms, several of the Psalms where David recounts as he's fleeing from Saul how wonderful were the days when i could enter your you know your gates i could be in the temple i could be offering worship and praise and there's this when he is separated from that experience he's in anguish because he can't he can't worship the lord essentially he can't offer sacrifice he can't be reunited with his god and his savior so that Gives you some insight into how David expresses through the Psalms the importance of the temple for him. I think it's, uh, let's see here. I'm going to try to find a a reference on the fly here. I believe it's in Psalm uh, 118. See if I can find it. Yeah, I'm trying to find it on the fly. Maybe it's not there. Oh, man. Man, it was going to be so cool. I was going to find it. It was going to be... Uh, oh, man. <laughs> uh, where Where is he recalling the days... Um, uh, what is it? Maybe it's Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I think maybe that's it. Okay, totally. Parker, you can fill the air with something here. Yes, here it is. I thought
1: about it, but I thought I'd just let the people hang out while you're <laughs> Okay. Just build the suspense.
0: Yeah, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts? My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And so he goes on to say, Yeah, better is one day in your courts, in verse 10, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So there's a sense in which God's court, his temple, his gates like there's this is there's something about how that is most essential as far as a location is concerned for the people of God at this time so
1: and Jesus is destroying it
0: yeah and so I think that gives a little bit of insight into possibly some of the questions that Peter James John and Andrew are kind of like okay we were just admiring you know how how incredible, how wonderful the stones and the buildings of the temple are, and then you follow up with, "Yeah, time is coming when not one stone will be left on top of another." Like, "Yep, take it in now, boys, because it's about to go down." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Okay, we don't doubt that that's going to happen." And just what what's the time frame? What are we looking at here? What are we going to be some of the signs we can see when this is going to play out? So I think that's interesting. Um, What do you make of this uh, in verse five? And um, he began to say that to them as they, right after they asked those questions when will these things happen? What will be the signs for these things? And he says, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. So there's something there that I think might be related to the meaning of this destroyed temple.
1: Yeah, so you kind of have this... uh, you have him initially saying, <clears throat> They're admiring these buildings. Jesus says, There will not be one, be left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So he's like, These are going to get destroyed. And then the disciples ask the question, We're all wondering, yeah. when, what, uh, what?
0: Which is still a question today.
1: Uh,
0: How many people try to determine kind of the initiation of the end time i mean they're they're all wanting to know and so there seems to be some relationship between this temple being destroyed and jesus returning
1: and his first answer to that question is not specifically saying when not specifically saying what the signs will be but a warning which is super interesting yeah a warning this indication that there's going to be people coming in leadership that are going to be claiming to be someone yeah. that they are not some form of manipulation or lying or, uh, yeah. So we're like, when's this happening? And he's like, see that no one leads you astray. What an interesting answer. Yeah. That should be really at the forefront of our minds of, hmm. man, he's, he's really saying that many not not a few, many will come.
0: <laughs> yeah, not a couple. There's gonna be in s- my name. Yeah,
1: saying I am He, and they will lead many astray. So He affirms that these people, many will come and many will be led astray.
0: Yeah, That's scary. And then he he connects that. Okay, so you've got this. They're they're like when and what are the signs? And he's. Somehow suggesting it's going to be upon his return. There is going to be seemingly total chaos as well. But don't be, uh, don't be deceived when many come and proclaim to be me, or when there are wars. Uh, you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. So even though it seems like the end, the destruction of the temple uh is coming or the the end is near it, he's like it, it doesn't necessarily mean when you when there's these false false claims as to the return of the Messiah the seemingly uh, events that might be connected to it or might kind of be a sign that it's all it's arrived He's like, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So mm-hmm. the birth hasn't happened, but it is an indication that it's coming. And you still don't have a clear answer for when or the signs, but they'll, I guess, somewhat be related to these types of things. Um. <laughs> It's very interesting. And you think about and is he go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say, is he talking like is he talking like what end of what is my first question? And then number two, you know, is he talking to us, knowing that his words will be uh in the word of God that we will read thousands of years later? Is he talking to us in that instance, or is he talking to something specific mm, that will happen? That's, the that's a great
0: the question. Yeah, the end of what, um, you know, if you look at the little uh, heading at the the top of this section, it's signs of the end of the age, right? But I don't think it's unrelated to the conversation about the destruction of the temple. I think that those are related. I think that that little um, heading there is obviously not Scripture. It's put there by translators that try to give you a, a sense of what this next section is about. But I think it's related uh, to his comments about the destruction of the temple. And the end of the age would be the the end of, you know, the the world in eventually the return of Christ. And there's a lot of a lot of thoughts and ideas about the timing of that. And you get into the book of Revelation and the millennial um reign of christ and does a thousand years really mean a thousand years are we in it now are we after it are we before it there's all kinds of views about that millennial reign but right now he's talking about the end and he's talking to he's talking to them about don't be deceived there are going to be things that seem like it's the end but that's not the end uh he we're, we're told later that when Jesus ascends uh, and the, the angels is there kind of explaining what just happened to the disciples, he tells them he will return in the same manner that he left. It's okay. And it also indicates that his return will be visible to all. So it's not going to be this mistaken, you know, are we seeing what we're seeing? It's not going to be just a few people, but... We're we're told that it will be a very obvious he'll come back the way that he left and he will be visible to all. Um so uh he gets into the ways in which we sometimes try to predict and in like any time, like I remember during COVID. I remember there are times in when like Russia invades Ukraine and other times where people are like, okay, this is it. Like, this is this is the end. And they've been saying it throughout my lifetime, you know, Y2K, that was going to be it. Uh, there's all these times in which people are anticipating that, oh, yep, here are the signs of the end. And yet he says right here, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Like this is so, again, to your question, is he talking to us in today's day and age? There is obviously some truth to what he's saying that is for us as well because we're reading it now and the end has not happened. Uh, there has been a destruction of the temple, and there will be. Uh, the destruction of the temple will happen in 70 AD. And so a lot of time, there's a lot of people that were like, yeah, see, Jesus foretold that that was going to happen and then it did happen. And so you could see why in their lifetime, a lot of them are like, okay, like when Paul, when Paul starts writing his letters, he's pretty sure it could be any day now that Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how his tone changes as he writes letters until he gets to Second Timothy, which is his final letter. And he's like, I'm not going to see the return. Like he's very clear that it's not going to happen in his lifetime at that point. And so it's interesting how his, even his view and understanding of Jesus's return kind of develops over his ministry.
1: It's pretty cool. Just a quick, just a quick thing that I just thought of is it's kind of cool being on the, like we get to see now with the Bible, we get to see these prophecies that have come to fulfillment, Mm -hmm. come to fruition that were, that had taken place thousands of years before and then we're also on the other end of some of those that haven't taken place yet right and, and haven't been fulfilled yet so it's just really cool to like be a part of the history of the world of like seeing them prophesied come to fruition and then now we have ones like this that we get to read and we get to be like
0: so cool man this
1: is crazy like this is going to come to fruition we get to be a part of this
0: and the thing is we can wrestle with it and we can have really st- strong opinions but we have to hold them correctly because he does not give us a date. He doesn't, he doesn't make it super duper clear Yeah, and we have to be really careful when we start to get into predictive mode and, and start to, to claim that we know and we have to be incredibly humble. I think on some of these theological matters and, hold them correctly. And by that, I mean, when when I'm talking with new believers, one of the things that I try to help them wrestle with is the difference between what are convictions that you need to have as a believer, what are uh, persuasions, like strong persuasions, and there's kind of a a gradation uh, in each of these categories, and then what are opinions. Convictions are these things that you're going to go to the mat on you're going to, to, if somebody who claims to be a Christian and yet denies one of these conviction-level beliefs, you would say they're probably not actually a Christian. So we're talking about things like the, resu- the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are saying you're a Christian and yet you deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus, I'm going to say you're not a Christian because that, that is fundamental, uh, if you're going to say that we're saved by works, that somehow it's grace plus whatever else we can kind of come up with, I'm going to say that's that's not what the scriptures teach. We're saved by grace alone through faith, and this is not any of our own doing, but is a gift so that no one can boast. And so there's some of those things, right? And then there's these persuasion things, and that's you get into areas of um, around baptism and the Lord's Supper, you get into matters of worship, and you get into areas of church structure, polity, women's roles. There's there's things like that you can be extremely strongly persuaded by and think these are absolutely, you know, crucial. But if you are at odds with somebody who disagrees with you, you don't have to necessarily break fellowship or call them not a believer. You can still think that they're wrong, but you're not going to, you're not going to cast them out as an unbeliever, but you can say, I, we just don't have a lot in common, you know, so be it. And then there's these opinion level things where it's like, did Adam have a belly button? Who knows? And does it matter? Mm -hmm. Uh, you have strong opinions about, uh, style of music in worship. You have strong opinions about the style of preaching. You have strong opinions about, uh, missions and what's the best approach. Uh, you know, opinions about how to share the gospel. And, but again, these are not something that we break fellowship over even within the same church body. Like I think persuasions are the things that are going to cause different denominations to exist. I think opinions can be different within even the same congregation. All that to say, I think some of the stuff that Jesus is presenting here can we can wrestle with these things. But if we're trying to predict the you know the end times and these kind of things, man, we got to be really careful and understand are these convictions, persuasions, or opinions? Uh, so then, just to finish out this uh, passage. He says these are but the beginning of the birth pains so the that analogy is that there is this something's about to happen right there's this you know birth pains or a pregnant woman is in birth pains when she's about to give lab, you know go into labor and deliver a baby but she hasn't yet so the idea that the end is not arrived yet but there's the beginning of the labor process and we don't know how long that labor process is uh, according to this analogy. But he says, be on your guard. for." <clears throat> and he's talking, I think, to them directly. For they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. He gives them a very clear understanding of what they've signed up for and what's going to happen to them. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for them? Mm. Like, how would you receive that?
1: I kind of like to know. Yeah. Uh, When I was in uh, the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M, it's an NROTC program there when you're a freshman. Uh, you're kind of just thrown into a room. You have no idea what's going on. No one tells you what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden they'll charge in. They'll tell you to get the PT gear, and you're going on a run. You don't know if it's going to be for a quarter mile and you don't know if it's going to be for 15 miles, but you're just expected to run as hard as you can. So that's just the first thing that came, that came to mind is the worst thing about being a freshman is every single morning workout. You have no idea what you're mm. doing. And so there was no way to prepare yourself. Not that you could necessarily prepare yourself by your own human will for what was going to happen to these guys. I think that was very apparently that it was the Holy Spirit that was strengthening them. But um, and at the same time, when you know something really bad's going to happen, it's pretty easy to get anxious about it.
0: Yeah, um, I think it,
1: It yeah. It, but then he commands them not to be anxious. Right he says right. It, he says, do not be anxious about it, which is super interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he
1: does. He does. So I would have liked, I would have liked to know him what's going on, I think, and uh, definitely would have relied on God for strength to not be anxious beforehand.
0: Yeah, I think there is definitely, to your point, there is a comfort in knowing the news, whether it's good or bad, but there's a comfort in knowing what is going to take place, especially if it's going to be unfavorable. Because in that— even in the fact that he is able to predict and foreshadow for them, here's what's going to play out for you. There is something about when it happens that bolsters faith. You're like, he was right. It's happening just like he told me it would happen, which then just reaffirms who he is and that I can trust him. Like he's not hmm. going to sugarcoat He does things. the same
1: thing to Peter, doesn't he? Yeah. I guess to all the guys, when he's asking Peter, do you love me? Yeah. And he tells him he's going to get his, his hand stretched out.
0: Absolutely. And there's something about, okay, if he's going to be honest with me about this, and he told me straight up, I'm going to go, we're going to be delivered over to councils. We're going to be beaten in synagogues. You're going to be beaten in synagogues. The places of worship that you've grown up revering and going to hear the Word of God, you're going to be beaten in those locations you're going to stand before governors and kings for my sake in order to bear witness about me. That's going to happen. So when it does happen, you're like, okay, we're, we just got beat down in a synagogue. We're now standing before a governor. <laughs> you're like, he is absolutely spot on, which means whatever else he's promised me, I can also count on. Because he he didn't keep, yeah. he didn't keep uh, the bad stuff yeah. from me. So whatever the good stuff is, he's probably right about that too. Any promises he made to me about the life to come, man, I can bank on that. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. They're not in a situation where it's like they're on their back getting beaten in the synagogue where they grew up, like you said, and, and thinking, man, is it is this part of the plan? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? Are yeah. you still in control of this thing? Yeah. Oh. And they can sit there and go, he said it would happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's when you're caught off guard or surprised by the the trauma or the negative when it happens and you're like, "Man, is this even worth it? Is this true? Is this real?" Like all the doubts, the enemy comes in and I think that's Man, that's so prolific in in today's church that there, there can be a danger when the gospel is preached that people are told their life will get better. Mm. And that is dangerous because that's just not true. Are we promised eternal joy? Yes. Are we promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us? Yes. But he also says that we're going to face trials of, of various kinds, as James says. And these are meant to produce a, a more robust faith, when we stand the test of these trials and that we're going to be able to examine our, our willingness to trust him through those. And then we look back on that instance and we go, man, I I made it by, by the grace of God, I survived, which then we have more faith to endure the next trial. And so I think it's just a powerful reminder today that, man, we're going to face stuff. And he predicted that. He predicted that we were going to face really difficult things, and that should not cause a loss of faith, but actually should increase our faith and also our confidence and hope in what's to come. Because if he's true about and he's honest about the suffering and the trials that we're going to face, he's also faithful and trustworthy about the promises and the eternal glory that we're going to experience. As Paul says, these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond compare. And he's talking about light momentary afflictions. He's talking about beatings, being left for dead, and all of the bad things that Paul experiences. He's like, yeah, light momentary afflictions. So that's some good stuff. Um, yeah, he says in verse 10, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Like, that is the priority. Before any of the end of the age can occur, he does give us a sense of sign or timeline that none of it, you can be confident, none of it will occur until the gospel is first proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to explain other other things that will occur Um, you'll be hated by all not by some not by most by all for my namesake but the one who endures all of this will be saved there's an encouragement to endure to have confidence that whatever we're experiencing especially the not so exciting the not so pleasant things as we follow Jesus and live life his way we just know that, that he's given us the power to endure. And that's just more confirmation of our salvation.
1: What a great word. What a, uh, <clears throat> you will be hated by all for my name's sake. I mean, that's just, I mean, the least encouraging message that, you know, you could hear, yeah. you know, uh. you're going to be, you're going to be, taken you're going to be beaten and there's going to be children rising against their parents there's going to be brothers delivering over brothers this idea that like families are going to be pinned against each other over this thing and you're going to be hated by all um man yeah and it's just it's the truth and it's kind of like you said earlier it's how easy it is in our day and age to go Let's leave that that last paragraph out uh, of today's message. Yeah. I think that that may drive away some of the newbies or some of the people who are just kind of here on Easter. <laughs> you know, it's uh. a nice Sunday. People ready for their Easter egg hunt. And, man, how easy it is for us to just take it into our own hands to maybe proclaim yeah. a gospel that is more convenient, that will get a better response, that may get some more hands up, that may get some more people into the filling up the chairs and um at the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. just a, a lack of trust in God's word and and what He said. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just feel like our job is to to share this message and you know trust God in that obedience of sharing it to yeah. do what He's going to do and not go based off of numbers or hands raised or uh, or any perceived success as you know, uh, as a result, but, but proclaiming this truth and man, some of it, you get a lump in your throat when you say it, but you know, it ends with the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's the gospel. It's the truth. And yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it, it's a good point you make that for those of us as believers who understand our existence here on earth Whatever occupation we find ourselves in, our number one priority is knowing him and making him known, knowing God and making him known wherever he's not known. So proclaiming the gospel and recognizing that there's a good chance that that's going to bring more resistance than it is acceptance in our life. And that's what we're signing up for. But our success isn't based on numbers and the amount of people that we win for the Lord. I can I remember the as I read through the book of Acts one time, noticing how Paul, he goes to one village, preaches the gospel, and they drive him out of town. They nearly stone him. They leave him for dead. He's not actually dead, but they think he is. They think they've killed him. And he gets up, dusts himself off, travels to the next town, preaches the same exact gospel, ends up staying there for like several months. And a lot of people come to know the Lord and trust him. His message is the same in both. And some people will go, well, well he was obviously successful in the second one. But no, he was successful in both because he faithfully preached the gospel. We leave the results up to God. And a lot of times in the American church, I think we're guilty of trying to manufacture success and trying to make it look like by way of numbers that we're, we're doing good stuff and the Lord is here. And it's just, man, we got to be really careful of that it's just really a dangerous road to go down. It's really dangerous.
1: I remember being in Uganda and, uh, driving down one of those bumpy streets in the back of a van reading, uh, uh Mark dever's book on evangelism and one of the last pages in the book is uh you know it 's not a failure if they deny Christ when you share the gospel with somebody um it's only a failure if you don't share it mm-hmm. you know if you, you know we're called to share it regardless of the the response the unfiltered yeah. uh word from god amen and that was just so encouraging to me, knowing that like you know we 're in these back out of these going from house to house and in the middle of Africa. And, um, it's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel. I'm doing it. And I know that it's going to, we're, we're going to face, um, um, uh, rejection for it, but you know, it's, it's not a failure that mm-hmm. And so, uh, share the gospel. And cause that's what you're called to do regardless of the result.
0: Amen. What's a good word today. This is a good word. I'm certainly encouraged i'm challenged uh, to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and so how am I contributing to that ultimate goal that the gospel be proclaimed to all nations man it's a good it's a good challenge what's uh number one takeaway for you
1: um it's, it's just, I, I I love the idea of kind of being on the other end of the, um, the prophecy, just knowing that, you know, um, the end is coming. Uh, Jesus's answer was this must take place, but the end is not yet. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like you said, um, we don't have all the answers. We're just called to trust in this time. Um, looking at these men who lived, and we're beaten in synagogues and everything that Jesus said took place. Mm-hmm. Um, what a powerful um, thing to read, seeing that come from Jesus's words. And we get to look and see that that did take place to those men who heard that and the gruesome deaths that they all yeah. received and how they were faithful until the end and how they endured and um, how we are reminded of the opposition that we'll face as well, but that the hope that we have.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, thanks for, thanks for being on the podcast today. Um, I want to encourage anybody who's tuning in and listening. uh, What you've engaged with is two guys that absolutely believe wholeheartedly. This is the very word of God that he has communicated to us. Everything that we need to know about him, about ourselves and about living this life is here found in this text that it's a book like that's that's like no other, and man, uh, if you are wrestling with these truths and the reality of who Jesus is in your life, you can email me, takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions about what came up in this passage, encourage, please email me. Uh, if you have a question for Parker, you can email me, and I'll get that question to him. Uh, it's, yeah, several people uh, will email me after a podcast, and uh, I will get their questions off to the right people and in the right places and get responses back to them. So please engage uh, in that platform. Uh, be sure to you know share this with others. If you know of people that you think would be blessed or encouraged or challenged by engaging in God's Word in this way, I encourage you to share it with people. Like, subscribe, do all the stuff you're supposed to do because that just helps people find us, helps people come, take, and read the Word of God which that's the ultimate goal of this podcast. Uh, The ultimate goal is not to make our names uh, more known. Uh, Parker and I don't care if people know our names, at least I can speak for myself. Ultimately, we want the name of Christ to be proclaimed. We want more and more people to read the word of God, to encounter Jesus, and to join us in following him and experiencing the new life that comes in Christ. That's the ultimate goal. And so please uh, share this with folks. Let people know uh, that this is the very Word of God. And if they're wondering how to get started in it, how to read it, they can join us uh, every week as we take a little bit, we read, and, uh, yeah, try to live in light of this truth. So I encourage you out there to take and read the Word of God. Blessings. Thanks, Parker.
1: See you guys.